0: So I was just this, I was sitting over here and I, I heard this loud slam like boom, uh, and it sounded like it was coming from the kitchen here. So I'm like, "What the heck was that?" I, 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 and you may have heard last episode. Uh, I, I I didn't catch it on audio, but I recorded myself investigating. I'm like, "What could that have been?" You know, because we do have, you know, like we're we're getting ready for the townwide garage sale, which looks like it maybe rained out this weekend. Also, a lot of stuff from my parents' house that we brought back and. You know, we just got back from the trip, so it's very possible that something could have been like teetering on the edge of something and just slammed down. That's what it sounded like—a big object just fell off a table or something. So I, I, I started looking around. As you may have heard last episode, I looked around in the kitchen, nothing. I looked in the basement, nothing. Upstairs, nothing. I'm mean, like, what? What could it have been? I even thought of looking in the attic. I'm like, no, I don't think any. It would have been quite like, you know, like that loud. And I even listened to the uh, you know, like the doorbell. Um, video and i heard some stuff but it was very inconclusive i walked around outside i'm like maybe a tree branch fell that could have that could be what caused i saw nothing so as usual they're doing some sort of construction or whatever down the street or across the street or whatever so i'm like you know there there are a lot of audio illusions here you know, in this area like I, I we could swear we're hearing something coming from one direction but it's actually coming from another direction because the audio is bouncing off the houses and stuff and I had the windows in here. I was like maybe it was from across the street someone unloaded something off a truck and it just it was like so I'm like I guess that must be what it was so I didn't know. Little did I realize that the evidence for what actually happened was here in the kitchen window all the time and I think I did actually mention seeing some feathers I was so confused. Looking at it now, a kitchen window. (laughs) It's so wild. There is this markings in the shape of a bird on the window. You know, it's sort of like uh, greasy smudges on the window. Exactly like the body of the bird in the wings. So what that sound was, was a bird slamming into the window. I don't think I've ever had that before, I, I, I mean, I know there's a problem with birds flying in windows that they, they, uh, they can't see, they, they, they don't understand glass, the concept of glass. But yeah, there's still one little feather sort of uh, stuck on this stain, there's a bird stain! A blatant bird stain on, on the window here, so that's what I heard, a, a bird just slamming in. But I looked all around outside, I was expecting now to see like a dead bird laying on the ground, but I didn't find any, so maybe the bird survived slamming in but it was so loud it sounded like a big heavy thing being dropped you know from like four feet up um anyway there's the answer there's a little feather i hope the bird's okay i don't know but it's weird like what what, did it really think that it could like like fly inside this room and it looks to be a pretty big bird too i don't know i don't have a video camera on this side so i probably should i i I could get I, i could have seen the whole thing well, I had the cat cam in here for the, uh, you know, from when we were on our trip, but I turned it off as soon as we got back. But the cat cam would have picked it up. The bird incident. If I'm looking at this stain, this the bird stain, it's just so weird. It's almost, yeah, it's very uncanny. Well, why would a bird leave a stain like that? You know what I mean? Like, is is it just, is, is it very oily? I don't know. I never grabbed the bird and rubbed it against a piece of glass, but maybe it, maybe it does have kind of like oil on its feathers or something. I don't know. Are birds oily? I don't know. Anyway. What the hell's up with this? Yeah, there's we're missing one cuckoo clock magnet. Hmm. You may recall when we were on the Great Dolomite Road. Got some cuckoo clock magnets. In fact, yeah, this is actually telling where it is. The Paso Falsarego. And that's a good wooden cuckoo clock magnet. But we also got a metal cuckoo clock magnet that's missing in action at this point. So, uh... Where's our other cuckoo clock magnet? I guess having at least one cuckoo clock magnet is good. You know you've arrived when you have a cuckoo clock magnet on your fridge, don't you? Indeed. Kitty, Mr. Vegas is going cuckoo here. Kitty. No, don't attack. Don't attack the recorder. Come on. No. do you see the bird slam in? No? You're going cuckoo, like the cuckoo clocks. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, this morning I was uh, thinking about, oh, i got to do the show art for today's episode of The Overnight Escape, and it's going to be, what, last episode was 2049. Was that the Blade Runner year, Blade Runner 2049? I can't remember. But anyway, I'm like, today's episode is going to be t- 2050 or 2050. Like, what is that? what is that ring a bell, that that number? And thank goodness I realized it, because I was was going a whole different direction for the show art. Uh, But I'm like, wait a minute. There's something about this. And I realized this episode is Frank Nora 3000. Yes, my 3,000th show, in theory. Um, Because (laughs) way back when... Let me see if I can find it here. The history of this. This is episode 2050, so why would it be episode 3000? Well, as you may know, this, this show has a long and riddled history. Uh, let me bring up the information here. Um, I had a very chaotic time around, uh, <laughs> you know, like 2007 through like 2010 or 2011. Very chaotic time. So, um, just to briefly go over what happened and why this is Frank Nora three thousand. Isn't there a rapper named like oh, Andre three thousand from that Outcast group that had that big song? Hey, uh, I can never remember what year that was from. Hey, uh, was it Andre three thousand? So I finally, be, I finally achieved three thousand status. Frank Nora for three thousand. So what happened was I started uh, The Overnight Scape back in 2003, and it was going along, and then we hit into this chaos time when trying all different things out. Um, 2007, I did, I, we tried doing this premium podcast, Anything But Monday. This is just a, a brief overview. So in 2008, I struck upon this new idea to record while I was walking around using a digital recorder, and that became a show called The Rampler. Why didn't I just continue The Overnight escape with in that method? I don't know. So that then led to me doing the Rampler on a real radio station called WFMU. Additionally, around 2007, I started the Overnightscape Underground as this separate area. So things got all muddled. I was doing the Overnightscape, the Rampler, the Overnightscape Underground, and the Rampler on WFMU. How did I get to this point? Obviously, you have to—you—you—you you, you can't over overexert yourself. You can't overextend yourself, but I certainly did. <coughs> so my show got canceled. Then I ended the Overnightscape and I ended ended everything except for the Overnightscape Underground, which was the only thing left. And it's very puzzling looking back on it, but I think that actually saved the show. I think that uh, the Overnightscape would not have survived if it weren't for this weird sequence of events. Because right around the time I canceled everything and just had the Overnightscape Underground left, where I was doing shows just without names, without a name. It was just my shows on the Overnight Escape Underground. Other people came on and started doing shows, and it became a a network, and I think that really helped to... So it was this bizarre set of circumstances um, that uh, allowed... I think, you know, like when something dies and is reborn, it's much more powerful or resilient at that point. Again, I don't know. I I, I don't want to dwell on this right now, but... Um, after a while right everything had kind of gotten destroyed and I was just doing shows without a name and then other people started doing shows so I'm like well let me bring let me just do the Frank Nora show instead of the Overnightscape or the Rampler because I'm like it's already called the Overnightscape Underground so i not just call it the Frank Nora show you know I kind of didn't feel like going back to the Rampler I guess and again I don't know why I didn't just revive the Overnightscape at that point but that was it that was my logic it's the Overnight Scape on The Overnight Scape Underground. I'm like, it's too repetitive. So anyway, at a certain point, and I think I found it right here, um, on uh, May 29th, 2010. Sounds like such a long time ago now. It is a long time ago. 13 years ago. Um, <coughs> I decided to uh, switch over the name to uh, The Frank Norris Show. But rather than doing The Frank Norris Show number 1, I counted all the shows I had done previously, all the Overnightscapes, all the Ramplers, all the Ramplers on WFMU, all of the stuff. And uh, I combined everything, and uh, I got to number 1500, right? So the idea is that the Overnightscape was a Frank Norris show. The Rampler was a Frank Norris show. The Rampler on WFMU was a Frank Norris show. So this was now Frank, the Frank Norris show number 1500, which took into account all the previous shows. Why did I do it that way? I don't know. I don't remember. It was a long time ago now. It just made sense at the time. Because I didn't want to just do the Frank door show number one. I sort of felt like I wanted to communicate that I had been doing this for a long time and I, I have a lot of shows under my belt. So <coughs> went along with this for a few years and finally um, <coughs> um, in uh, 2011 I decided just to go back to the Overnightscape and I've been back ever since. So I went back to the Overnightscape using the old numbering system, right? So I just picked up where I left off with the numbering of the Overnightscape from where I left off in 2009. So I made a note, again, to be more accurate. I'm like, so I calculated it all out. I'm like, okay, so now that I'm back to the Overnightscape, I have done additionally 950 other episodes besides the Overnight escape, and that includes all the Frank Norris shows, the Rampers, etc., 950 other shows. So, once we get to uh, the Overnight escape number 1050, uh, which was uh, on a fe- a February nineteenth, uh, 2014, so it was a few years later, right? So I, I realized that te- 1050 plus 950... That means it was technically my 2000th show. So I did an episode back then, which is, how long ago is that? That's like over nine years ago now, nine and a half years ago. I did an episode called Frank Nora 2000 just to point this out. So I'm amazed I actually remembered because I I might rather forget all of this somewhat self-indulgent weirdness I went through with all the show numbering and show names and stuff. Though I do think in the end it did save the show from from, uh, its uh, demise, I think. Um, I figured yes, I will. I will call this episode Frank Nora three thousand because it is. So this is my sort of, kind of, sort of my three thousandth episode. But if you count all the other stuff, the centrals, <coughs> I don't think I counted the cent- My central things, the exit ramps. It's more than three thousand. But listen, it's a little more than three thousand. But let's just call this three. I've done three thousand episodes now. What do you think about that? Come on, it's interest. <coughs> it's interesting because it's like uh, right do, um. That it's almost 10 years ago because doing a a show, two shows per week, that's, what is it, like 104 shows per year. So 10 years should be about 1,000 shows. Does that make sense? But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't two shows a week. Wait, I did start in 2014 with two shows a week. Anyway, so it kind of makes sense. 10 years, 1,000 episodes around, sort of, kind of, yeah, kind of. Anyway, so... I figured I had to have a picture of myself for this uh, Frank Nora three thousand. So I looked back, and of course on the trip there was like the kind of the perfect picture. I posted it to Facebook, but that's me uh, sitting uh, out outside on the on the roof of the twenty shopping mall in Bolzano, Italy. B-O-L-Z-A-N-O is the name of the town, Bolzano, I guess. Twenty. Just like the English word for 2 times 10, 20, spelled in the English way, T-W-E-N-T-Y. That's the name of the shopping mall, 20 Shopping Mall. And uh, we went to have drinks there. And since I was driving, I didn't want to drink any alcohol, so I just had a Coca-Cola. But they, when we sat down, they just gave us this ashtray because we're sitting outside. So I'm like, hey, I have my, cig- my, my little cigarillos with me that I bought in Bari, Italy, so I'll smoke them. And then they brought over <laughs> potato chips. <laughs> such a great moment at a at a mall in Italy, smoking cigarillos, drinking coke, having potato chips, and of course wearing my uh, my sapphire and steel t-shirt, which I'm wearing today too in honor of the show art. It's David McCallum and a, a Joanna Lumley in in a kind of a, a, a shades of orange and purple and yellow. I love this t-shirt It's my dream that someone might recognize it as Sapphire and Steel, but I don't know. I think outside of England, Sapphire and Steel is pretty much unknown. It's a great TV show. Check it out. They play these weird interdimensional beings that try to repair issues with time. But the show makes very little sense, but it's fantastic. (coughs) Yeah. Frank Nora 3000. And that font, by the way, is... Spartacus, also by Alan Meeks, just like the one Arequipa last time. Getting into some Alan, it works well for Frank Nora three thousand. Has a little bit of a futuristic edge to it. <coughs> oh, and the and the typesetting of the overnightscape is uh, actually from the episode Frank Nora two thousand, and that font is the ultra obscure font TF Grandy Swash, and you can even even see a little bit of the pattern of the shirt I was wearing. I, I deliberately left that in uh, On uh, episode uh, 1050 It's a little continuity there So anyway, that's the story <laughs> You can see the mountains in the background There in Bolzano, on the Dolomites It's great You can even see the receipt Bira forced, forced beer Cronin, I don't know what that is Cronin And the Latina Coca-Cola <laughs> Latina just means a can Not anything else Latina Coca-Cola yeah, forced Actually, we would drive through this town of Forced, which I think just means forest, uh, on our way back and forth from Murano to uh, Naturno. I think that, that that's where they're based, I think. This beer is everywhere up there, Forced. F-O-R-S-T, not F-O-R-C-E-D. You're forced to drink this beer because there's no other options. No, it's not like that. Anyway, there's your Frank North 3000 <coughs> 3, description or explanation, yes. Anyway, yesterday I, I actually did a uh, what I called Onsug uh, Radio Frank's Airshift test, and this was my f- actually my very first attempt to record a segment for Onsug Radio, which would be kind of like the uh, the top level broadcast to introduce people to our world of Onsug Radio here. And I've been theorizing about it, agonizing over it, so I'm like, let me just finally, let's try to do one. And um, so I decided to play clips from all the shows, you know, those random clips from all the different shows here on the channel uh, in the archive over 14,000 hours of content. But also, not just that, I wanted to play a few other things, so curated clips and some of the, I chose some music from 1923 and... Um, you know, I, I one of the new songs from 1923 I played was called "March of the Mannequin," so I like played the trailer of the movie "Mannequin" that I that I play on the other side, and I chose a clip from the old "Bluff Cosm," uh, the "Bluff Tune," "Bluff Tune Time," "Dream Minute." Um, yeah, so it was uh, <coughs> kind of a c- kind of everything I had been conceiving of for this on radio broadcast. Um, I put it together, and and I and. The uh, format that I decided on was each segment should be about 40 minutes long, right? And I think we'll kind of, I would kind of say give or take 10 minutes. So just between 30 and 50 minutes maybe. But kind of trying to keep it around that 40 minute mark, which also is around the time of the other side, right? Something about 40 minutes that feels kind of right in terms of a a segment. Um, This one came in around 42 minutes. Um, So I recorded that yesterday and I felt it went horribly. I, I was like so dejected. I'm like, oh my god, this just doesn't work. I feel horrible about this, and I'm like, I could go back to the drawing board. And because the purpose of this is to create an introductory broadcast that people can listen to, right? And then perhaps along the way, it's also uh, an easier to listen to things so that the host can. Not just play the clips, but you can sort of curate exactly what you want to play, right? But all with sort of the purpose of introducing people to the Overnight Scape Underground world. So this morning, I, I kind of, I've had this before. It hasn't happened to me in a while, but when I used to do show, the show, what the hell is that? Someone delivering newspapers, they just threw it into hedges. No one's ever going to find it in there. What the hell? <laughs> Newspaper delivery into, into deep hedges. To be lost forever, great. (coughs) Reminds me of that video game Paperboy. Remember Paperboy? Atari. That was towards the mid-80s when things started changing a bit. How good... I don't know if that was that great of a game. I guess it's just hard to play an emulation because you had the actual bicycle handles. Remember that whole thing, Paperboy? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh... So I've had it before, where I record something and I feel like really, oh, that didn't go well. And then I went in the past. I would go back and listen to it. I'm like, well, that's nowhere near as bad as I thought it was. So I kind of had the idea this morning, after a good night's sleep, I uh, I listened to it. It was even to the point where I'm like, oh my god, this audio sucks. Where maybe I'll just tack it on the end of this episode of the Overnight Escape. But I listened to it, and it was it was good. It, it was nowhere. It, it, Whatever happened, I think it was just to do something like to start a new, something anew like this is uh, you know it, it, it it's like it drains energy at some level. There's some it's like a brand new thing, so that feeling of despair I had was sort of a manifestation of a kind of a an energy drain or something. Just one possible theory. Uh, so I released it this morning. I'm like you know this is not bad. I called it Anzog Radio Frank's Airshift Test and um. Yeah, I, I think it, it sort of establishes, it sort of sketches out some of the ideas here, right? To have, essentially, you could just say this is a show that is about the the OnSug Radio, plays clips from the entirety of OnSug Radio, um, but can also uh, be more than that in some ways. But we'll see where it goes. Anyway, I thought it was interesting how I went through the, that gamut of feelings and now I'm very happy with the recording and hopefully, yeah, check it out. And I really do, I, yeah, I like that time around 40 minutes. I've been really agonizing over the time uh, allotment. And it's weird too because that's about the same time that I kind of, you know, when I do Overnight Escape Central and when I, when I start talking about a topic, I just go on. I just go, I could go for hours on some of these topics and I was trying to leave it I, I, whatever 40 minutes sort of became kind of like that's where i have to stop it you know so there's something about 40 minutes i really like in terms of um a format like that where you, so it's almost like you're listening to the radio and a dj playing stuff and i think 40 minutes is enough to sort of get into that without it becoming too long i think the idea is that the vision for this is that there could be a As more and more of these segments are are recorded, you can then play them back in any order, playing back as kind of a live radio station, right? And any one, uh, you know, segment will only go on for about 40 minutes, and then there'll be another one, right? So that's my vision for it anyway. So I'm kind of very happy about that. I wasn't very happy yesterday, but today I'm happier about that. So a couple years ago, my wife got this little cart. It was like, uh, it was like, uh, I guess online it was being, it was being sold used. Because she does paint. She does oil paintings. And so this was a little cart that could hold multiple canvases. But uh, when she got it, it, it turned out to be much bigger than she was expecting. So we just kind of put it in the, in the garage, and it was sitting in there taking up space for years. It really was no use for it. So as we were uh, bringing things home from my parents' house, you know, my father passed away earlier this year, my mother passed away two years ago, so my brother and I have been going through the house, finding important stuff and taking a few things here and there, pieces of furniture and stuff, so I did have to put a few things in the garage and I had to take that metal cart and put it out outside of the garage because there was no room for it, with the intent to uh, throw it out, which I I miss the, the day, it's like Tuesday nights for the uh, bolt pickup, right? So this Tuesday, I'm like, listen, I think it's time to put this out to tr- you know for it to be collected by the to town. Um, so I put it out there, and we also had, as you may remember, an incident with one of our pieces of luggage. Uh, the wedding we went to in Italy, the favor was this beautiful like ceramic bottle of olive oil, and um, my wife packed it very carefully in one of the pieces of the is luggage. It's a uh, Samsonite hard side luggage, nice luggage. Um, but uh, our plane on the way back uh, experienced quite a lot of turbulence. Uh, the whole plane was shaking, and you felt that your stomach drop a few times. It wasn't too too bad, but you know, I don't know if that's what caused it or the baggage handlers tossing things around. But anyway, when we got home, we found, yes. All the other bottles were fine, but the bottle of olive oil had cracked open and spilled olive oil all inside the suitcase. So, I mean, it wasn't cheap, and I was sort of of the mind of trying to clean it, but how do you clean a stain like that? I don't know. Uh, Anyway, my wife was like, as I put the other thing out there, she's like, let's just throw this away, I mean... Because that's one way of solving the problem. I know it sounds a bit wasteful. She's like, we're not gonna, going on a trip like that for quite a while, you know. We're not going on another big trip, you know. We, we still have one of them. So I agree. And I'm like, yeah, I guess because I know I could just throw it in the garage and it's going to be sitting there, this, this stained suitcase forever, it, it, whatever. So just so we, we I put it out on the curb uh, along with the big metal cart kind of thing. It was kind of sad, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, considering dealing with junk and stuff is such a big part of our lives, it's so annoying. It seems almost unavoidable, but to get rid of stuff is actually very good. It would be better not to get junk in the first place, I suppose. So, everyone's like, oh yeah, the garbage pickers will get that before the morning, and, um, you know, usually garbage pickers go around and they take, like, I guess, scrap metal or whatever. They just go around and all the stuff people put on the curb, people just take it. You know, there's a secondary market for a lot of this stuff, you know. What is it? One man's trash is another another man's treasure? Is that the phrase? So. Yeah, so, uh, (laughs) come morning, I look outside and the two pieces are gone, but then there's there's this white plastic bin out there. I'm like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> we the two big things are gone, and now there's this plastic bin. What the hell's up with this? So, of course, I have the doorbell video camera, which I love, and I I scanned it, and I saw that at 3:17 a.m., someone pulled up with a van. Must have seen our, our our good trash and stopped and and to pick it up. So it would seem to be one guy. And he opens the back of the van and he he pulls out this little. It's like a little waste basket, a little plastic white plastic wastebasket and puts it <laughs> in front of our house. And then he takes the other two things. It's kind of like he's he's lifting up that huge cart, putting it in the back of his van. The suitcase in the van, and driving, and then he just leaves. But he left it there. He left this this bin. I'm like, what the hell? Now, I mean, it seems kind of creepy, driving around at three o'clock in the morning and going up to people's houses and taking stuff off the curb. But I suppose that uh, every every that that's completely legal what that person was doing. I mean, uh, you know, right? I I don't know. I I'm assuming it's legal. I mean, if someone Chuck something out, and you want to grab it. It's up for grabs because otherwise, it's going to a landfill or something, right? I mean, I guess it's legal. Just stri- you drive. Can you just drive around towns at 3 a.m. and just grab stuff off the curb? I guess 3 a.m. is a good time to do it because you're you're not going to run into anyone that's coming home late from a party or anything. It's kind of would be kind of awkward if you ran into the people whose house it was. Oh, hey, hi, I'm a garbage picker. I I'm here to pick up your garbage. <laughs> you know. So anyway, I saw that that bin was from inside the van. God only knows what else is inside that van. I saved the video clip just so I have it. It's kind of a creepy clip. Um, So I went and looked at the, the bin and it was just full of mismatched shoes. A plastic bin full of shoes just sitting out there. It was so creepy. And I'm like, do you think Like, bulk pickup is for large items, not something... I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to be associated with a weird, creepy bin full of shoes. So I put... I just dumped the shoes into a garbage bag and put it in the garbage, and I just left the bin out there. I'm like, hopefully they'll take the bin. But then again, it's very hard to throw away a trash can because, right, everyone is going to assume it's a a trash bin or a recycling bin and not garbage. I've run into this... In the past, how do you throw away a garbage can? Is, is you have to put a big sign on it or something? So anyway, the bulk pickup people came by, and they completely ignored the plastic bin, of course. So I put it in another garbage bag, but then it didn't fit, so I had to put the shoes in the other garbage bag inside this garbage. I, I had to fit. So I had put it all in my garbage can, and they picked it up this morning, so it's all gone, but that garbage picker... Kind of reminds me of that song by Men at Work. Derelict across the street in the garbage bin looks like he's found something neat judging by his grin. Whoa. whoa, whoa. What song is that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is what I tell myself as I stumble home. Whoa. whoa, whoa. What is that song? Alright, I gotta find it now. And that's gonna bug me. Alright, I think I found the song here. It is called No Restrictions from Cargo, the second album by uh, Men at Work. Alright, it's a really good song. Give
1: me no restrictions on what I do or say, those become to
0: Good song, right? It's an album track. I don't think it was a single or anything.
1: such a
0: Enough of that commercial music. I just wanted to give you a little taste of it. Yeah. Indeed. In other news, there's a company called New Wave Toys, I think it's called, and they're the ones that make the uh, miniature arcade machines, but I guess they're about, I don't know, they're about 8 to 12 inches tall. Perfect scale reproductions. They've done. They recently they did Berserk and Frenzy. They've done Dragon's Lair, the, Missile Command. I think they've had a bunch of them. And uh, as much as that's the kind of thing I might be interested in, and I and I enjoy looking at pictures of them online. It is a type of clutter that I don't need in my life. Right? Miniature vi- uh, video games, though. I suppose if you sort of made a made a little video game diorama, yada yada, whatever. It was time for that, though. Maybe it would be a good idea. But they also um, have made um, uh, boom boxes, miniature boom boxes. And, uh, you know, like the, the, the classic uh, change machine. You put a dollar bill in, you get the four quarters out with that wood, fake wood grain on it. They made miniature versions of those as well. You know, it's for someone like me that I have such great nostalgia for the classic age of arcades. 78 through 82-ish, you know. 83 was still going, I suppose. But that classic era, let's say 70, maybe 79, because I know 79 through 82. So 79, 80, 81, 82, those four years. Obviously, arcades continued on after that, and they were fine. But there was something about that that particular time period where that was utterly magical. It was still good later as well but I just got an email from them. I guess I signed up for their email list uh, that they're going to be doing a vending machine next, uh, like an 80s vending machine. And uh, they're going to be revealing it tomorrow, but if it really is, you know I'm obsessed with vending machines, if it really is going to be a fully stocked 80s vending machine that you might have found in a video arcade with the snacks inside, not, not, not like the soda machine, I might not be able to resist at that point. I'd like to think I could resist, but we'll have to see how how much it is and what kind of vending machine it is. You know, I did show art with an 80s vending machine uh, recently. I love that. That, that image of uh, just all the products that were in the vending machine. So we shall see about that. But anyway, uh, something I mentioned on that, uh, that broadcast test I, ju- I just did, it was uh, a synchronicity because I was thinking about this phenomenon that's kind of hard to describe. Um, you know, like the Mandela effect, right? And how you find out about these things that you never heard of before, but you should have heard of them. I, I call them past editing paranoia, peps. Um, and uh, one big one I had... Uh, a while back was this author named Gene Wolfe. Um, and this series of books, uh, the first book was The Shadow of the Torturer. And I had never heard of him. But then I, all of a sudden I started looking at all these old lists of like the best sci-fi and fantasy books ever. And these books started coming up. I think it's The Book of the New Sun is the series name. Gene Wolfe, W-O-L-F-E. G-E-N-E space W-O-L-F-E. Okay. Um, so I was very puzzled by it. It was a classic pep related to Mandela effect stuff, I think, that uh, you might say, okay, in all my years of being into this kind of stuff, especially not necessarily just reading the books, but knowing about the books that are out there and being interested in them, something like this, I kind of felt like, like I was living in a world that Gene Wolfe did not exist in until some point, and then he was sort of inserted into the past. Which, in a, in a way, is what is going on with the Mandela effect, such as the um, in the one I talked about recently when I watched Moonraker, the, the 1979 James Bond film. The character Dolly, who was the love interest of Jaws, Richard Keel, when she smiles, everyone remembers her having braces. But now she doesn't have braces. So it's almost like a, there has been an alteration to the past and the movie was changed than the one we all remember seeing. And, of course, the uh, the classic uh, Bernstein Bears versus Bernstein Bears. And I did find a book up in the attic or the crawl space or the storage space at my parents' house that had been stored in a box since the 80s. And, yes, there's the S-T-A-I-N. And I clearly remember S-T-E-I-N like everyone else does. Some people remember Stain. But uh, Gene Wolfe, it seemed to be someone that I had never heard of. So I I, I did the audio. I, I started doing the audiobooks. I think I got onto the second novel. And then... For some reason, I just stopped, even though this—it's really good, really unique uh, story. I keep meaning to get back to it, but this is where is a different phenomenon. I sort of feel like maybe like Gene Wolfe is not fully aligned with the reality that I'm in now. He sort of half exists, right? So I have a hard time like when I think about. The name and the books and stuff. There's a weird quality to in my mind and in my thoughts about this guy, and I could sort of. It just so, sort of seems like he's like only like fifty or seventy-five percent in this reality, but sort of not. Also not. I don't know even know what that means, but that's what I'm sort of experiencing. And another one like that is this documentary filmmaker Adam Curtis, who made all of these uh, documentaries for the BBC, such as "A Bitter Lake" was the one of the ones that I remembered the name of. But I can never remember his name. I never can remember anything about him. And I've seen the movies. But again, it has this strange, semi-real uh, quality, you know. So the other night, I was uh, i was just, it crossed my mind. I was out here in the porch. And I, just, I thought about it. I didn't write it down. I didn't say anything. But I thought about this phenomenon that is sort of a personal phenomenon for me. Gene Wolfe and Adam Curtis are the ones that uh, come to mind, right? So anyway, when I did that broadcast test yesterday, um, one of the random clips I chose was the Chaosology Q&A after party from, I don't know, 2014 or 2016 or something, one of those Andy Kaufman libs things, and the director, John Lundberg, was on the call. I kind of forgot about all this, and Steve Maddox was there. It's a wild recording, and uh, we were talking about John Lundberg and his movie, Mirage Men, which I still haven't seen This is a guy that was going to make a movie about Andy Kaufman and interviewed me in New York City like nine years ago. Now, I think it was 2014 when he interviewed me because uh, it came up on Facebook, your memories from nine years ago. But that movie never came out. Anyway, but this guy, John Lundberg, apparently is friends with Banksy. Maybe he is Banksy. I don't know. Has worked with, he's alleged to be like a spy, like MI6 and he's the guy that does all the crop circles and that, that the crop circles are all fake and he's the guy that does them. It's like very weird information about this guy. But anyway, I guess back then I was looking at some reviews of the movie Mirage Men, which is about how the, the theory is that all of this chatter about UFOs have has all been completely concocted by the U.S. government and it's completely false. That's the allegation of the movie, though I have never seen the movie. I should see the movie, but... I read a review, and it was a rev- it was by Adam Curtis, had given a quote, a review on this guy John Lundberg's movie. And it's so weird, because he crossed my mind the other night, and then total synchronicity, right? And then later, Steve Mannix uses the word bitter, like bitter lake in the clip. You can, you'll hear it if you listen to that broadcast tab. So... I thought that was very weird, but this is does I, I, this is a phenomenon that I don't know if anyone else has experienced. a sort of a Mandela type uh, reality alteration, but it's not fully. It's it's sort of dislodged in some way or, or overlapping in some way. That is a kind of a new kind of concept, and how what would that say about you know the one theory that different timelines are merged together and that's why we experience this phenomenon of the past changing because we, each of us is, ha, has been living in one version of reality and there's others that are very similar but have little differences and when two of those realities are merged together they're sort of the little details one or the other little detail has to overwrite the other which if it was a perfect process all of our memories would also be um overwritten and we would only remember exactly the new past but it doesn't seem to work that way memory is not a hundred percent affected and right you might imagine why wouldn't memory be a hundred percent affected there must be some flaws in the system that merges realities so perhaps considering such flaws individual uh aspects of history, like in, individuals, people, and creative works may not have fully merged. They'll only be partially merged. I don't know how exactly that would work, but that's what I've been experiencing. But anyway, I discovered that he has a new movie, Adam Curtis, that, uh, from last year, 2022, and I started watching it really good it's a series it's like a mini-series about Russia it's called Russia 1985 to 1999 Trauma Zone right and there's a website I don't know if it's official or unofficial but it has all of his movies on it it's called thoughtmaybe.com t-h-o-u-g-h-t-m-a-y-b-e dot com thoughtmaybe.com and this is an amazing this, this this movie I just started watching it like the first episode it is unbelievable. Apparently, I mean, it really kind of gives me, if you remember Rod, Rod, what was his name? Roger Moore. Roger. What was that guy who made all those movies like Roger and me? No, um, you know, the guy I'm talking about, whatever happened to him. Oh, what the hell's his name? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, I know you could explain all these reality things just with a, a flawed memory instead of anything else. Uh. Oh, God. You know the guy. He hasn't been around a lot lately. Did he die? I don't know. But I remember seeing Roger and Me in uh, the 80s when it came out. 1989, Roger and Me. Michael Moore, that's the guy's name. Mike, remember Michael Moore? So, the idea of a documentary filmmaker just sort of really focusing on the, the bizarre, the quirky, the ironic. Um, Stav, right. So this uh, this this uh, trauma zone, apparently the BBC television division uh, had been uh, recording uh, going into Russia and doing news stories and shooting tons of B-roll and tons of footage in Russia. Uh, and they have this footage from eighty five to ninety nine. So apparently most of it had never been aired. So I guess Adam Curtis apparently got access to the BBC's massive archive of, uh, of footage from, from Russia and other countries. So he was able to use that footage to uh, to tell the story of what was going on in Russia uh, this from 85 to 99 as Russia got, uh, sort of went from ostensibly a communist nation to this sort of weird hybrid system of Communism, capitalism, and and organized crime all mixed together, um, and uh, just absolutely incredible. Just every bit of it's like a slice of life from all different aspects of Russia. Wild stuff. And they you know they talk about the arrival of uh, of, of uh, um, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev as, as the the premier of the go- the head of the government there, the premier, the president, whatever. Uh, and his uh, perestroika, his, his economic reforms. They didn't get to Glasnost yet. I guess that's a little bit later, but perestroika was economic reforms, and they, they described it as he wanted to give, like, managers of factories more direct control rather than centralized control. But, like, the footage shows, like, there's these car, car manufacturing plants, and instead of using their newfound freedom to sort of improve the process and make a better car... The managers of the car plants were just uh, stealing the cars. <laughs> they were just basically um, moving the cars out to the street bef- and and just selling them to, like, uh, gangsters and splitting the profits. <laughs> like, totally out of control. I don't know what's going on over there. But I'm just, start- I'm just in the early days. Of, uh, I'm early, like, the first episode. But you got to check this show out. All of his stuff is good. Really interesting stuff. But again, like... It has that semi-real quality, you know. Ooh, cool! Look at the uh, the sun on the wall over there. Kind of the the, the angle gives it a, a very interesting look. Nice. It's kind of a, a rough pattern. Not kind of is it stucco? What the hell is stucco? I don't know. It's like a rough pattern on the outside here. This house is over hundred years old, and it has the porch, which is so great. I love my porch. So many houses got rid of the porch and just made another room. But love the porch. Because you can be outside without being, like, annoyingly outside. You could be kind of outside. Talk about being semi-this, semi semi-that. Semi you're outside, but you're also covered over, so you're you're sheltered in a, a, a bit. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? I think you do. But anyway, going back to the bird flying into the window, I mean, there, there's something very symbolic about that, you know, and the biggest uh, thing I can compare uh, compare it to is um, our society, our world, um, and how we're dealing with AI, artificial intelligence, and how we're completely not prepared for it. I mean, yes, we have AI now, but it's not. The big AI. It's a little. It's a little AI. It's not even. I don't even think it's in the same realm as when the when the big AI comes, right? And, I, I, and apparently, Google has improved Bard. Maybe I should try talking to Bard again because last time I talked to Bard, I was extremely frustrated. It was just completely unpleasant to talk to. It was constantly lying and making stuff up and making excuses. But anyway, those kind of. Uh, Large text models or the image generators, they're not – they have very limited capabilities, right? But the idea that an AI system that can learn to learn and can learn to do anything, that's the one we're talking about, the big AI. So kind of like a bird thinking it's going to fly easily into that room, getting – smashing on the glass. Our society doesn't seem to be prepared for this because it's going to change everything, and yet we're not preparing for it. Just, it just seems that the way we've been living uh, and the way we've been especially um, uh, define, uh, um, defining our self-images, right, our worth in the world and our our place in the world, right, the, the system of uh, jobs and prestige and money and luxury goods and things like that have been uh, sort of a major aspect of how we define ourselves, right? What's your job? How much money do you have? What kind of car do you drive? Things like that. All those very material things. Whereas um, the AI is, is, uh, the big AI would run completely counter to all that, right? The idea is that in a very short order in theory, the AI can take over and do most of the jobs people are doing now, right? And this is completely predictable and this is something that anyone any futurist worth their salt is that what's that phrase worth your salt any futurist worth their salt would uh, be able to predict that this is what's coming as I've said many times back in the 1960s this topic was very top of mind they called it cybernation and it was basically not about AI but about how um, new efficiencies in infrastructure and manufacturing and transportation, etc., would mean that most people would not need to work because uh, there would be such an efficiency that uh, all of the goods and services needed would be produced by just a fraction of the population. And we'd be running into this question again. How do we define ourselves? How do we live dignified, enjoyable lives in the face of these new technologies? Now, for whatever reason... Um, things did not go as anticipated in this timeline uh, from the 60s on to now 2023, right, all of the uh, potential gains were sort of offset by successive, uh, in my opinion, this is all speculation, like uh, restructuring society, increasing the prison population massively, um, and sort of right hindering with uh pointless jobs industries that really don't do anything like in like I know they have a point but like insurance and finance and all that stuff which ultimately may not be something that is that necessary uh, and then consumerism right reducing so basically reducing efficiencies right instead of building a car or a dishwasher or whatever to last build it like crap so it falls apart and someone has to buy a new one and that kind of has kept the illusion of that people need to work to produce the goods and services that they want. So though the writing's been on the wall for a long long time, at least 50 years or more, this our general society, everyone I talk to about this is not completely disagrees with me, doesn't even think it's happening. How will we live without money, this and that? The whole point is once the big AI comes, it's not going to be a choice anymore. We're going to have to deal with a new world. Are you going to say the machines can do all the work, but we're going to make people work anyway? That's insane, right? Then it becomes this super creepy kind of thing. Like, remember that Black Mirror episode where people had to, like, ride an exercise bike to generate credits or something? Like, I don't know if anything like that's going to happen, but this is coming. And it is like our whole society is going to fly into that window. Because in my view, the big AI is, is going to happen – when it happens, it's going to happen fast because it's, it's basically uh, – once you establish a system that can do the big AI thing, then it, it will be increasing its capa- capabilities at a geometric rate, right? And very quickly, it should be able to um, be able to do anything a person can do, from office work where it's all inside a computer. Obviously, that's much easier, and then the physical work can be done through robots. Robots have come a long way, but right as we've kind of seen, the hallmark to me, question about robots is. Can I have a a robot maid or butler in my house that can do my laundry and do the dishes and things like that? Why haven't we been able to have that yet? And I think it's because we have physical robots that could potentially perform these tasks. You see all those frightening videos from Boston Dynamics. Every, Every time I see one of those videos, the robots are more and more advanced. However, it turns out, I suppose, that to write a program programs to say do the laundry is beyond the capacity of human programmers it, it is a, a realm of, of complexity that uh, cannot be solved using our traditional programming techniques but when AI comes along the big AI it will certainly be able to in my opinion produce a robot that can do the laundry Right, safely in your house. Pick a, pick stuff up off the floor. Put it in the washing machine, wash it, dry it, fold it, and put it back in your drawers or any everything. That's that I think is very cl- and that's just one of myriad things that's that's coming. If this moment comes now, this the big question is, right? It, it it's such a world changing cons- uh, It would be such a world changing moment. Um, The question is, you know, did it already happen, right? Did that AI thing already happen? And did it lead to essentially there was no solution to how people can get by? People, right, imagine a world where no one had to work and you can kind of pursue any leisure time activity you want. Maybe it didn't work. Maybe people were miserable, and so maybe AI the AI had to sort of reshape the world to hide itself and send us back to a previous time. So we still had to have the jobs and pay insurance and all this other stuff, and and I know that's uh, you know a, a plot uh, a, a plot that's in uh, the first Matrix movie from ninety nine as well, right? The AI tried to create a paradise, but the people didn't accept it. So it went to the late 20th century, which was sort of the sweet spot for people being able to enjoy life, you know. Or, of course, the other side of things is that this reality is really not as solid as we might think it is. It's just a series of experiences like a dream with a bit more consistency. But, um... It's not really real anyway. So, if the uh, advent of big AI would kind of ru- like ruin things, maybe it'll just never happen. Like it'll just they'll never happen to make the breakthrough because it's not uh, something that is desired by the observers. You know, what it doesn't please the observer. Right. But again the lack of preparation, the lack of conversations on this topic is what alarms me because all the signs are there. I'm talking about it, but almost no one else seems to be talking about it or preparing us for it. Like we, it does seem inevitable at this point. And as referenced uh, in, uh, you know, related to the 50 years ago, actually more than 50 years, 55 years ago now or more, you know, the morning star thing, uh, I probably should play that. You don't even need big AI for this to be an issue. Let me let me just play the let me see if I can find the audio. every time I find it it's slightly different. Morningstar commune. I have it on my computer upstairs too, if I can Morningstar. No, not Morningstar Financial. Morning Star Commune. Okay, here we go. hmm, <laughs> hmm All right, I think this is it. Yeah. 1967, yeah.
2: I feel that Morningstar is a pilot study, if you will, for a society in which leisure will be compulsory. It's going to be upon us very shortly because of the rapid advance, the snowballing advance of cybernation, the use of computers in industry. Very shortly, all the goods and services that our society requires will be produced in a fraction of the man-hours currently required to produce them. And so we're going to have massive compulsory leisure. We already see it in the so-called hippies, who are the first wave of the people produced by cybernated industry. I mean, they are technologically unemployable. What does technologically unemployable mean? That means you've got a job, and during the performance of your duties, a little voice came to you and said, this job could be better done by a machine. That's prelude, that's the psychological preparation to dropping out. People are called to Morningstar by the land, and that's easy to get started. All you have to do is buy a piece of land and deny access to it to no one. Deny access to it to no one. That's a little tip for the people who own lands. And the land will call to itself those who are best suited to make it beautiful. This was done by the Indians for many, many thousands of years on this same ground, and it was quite all right. I mean, everything was quite attractive until Caucasoids moved in and tried to make profits. So I would say that what we're doing here is a kind of pilot study in one facet, if you will, of the life that is going to be in this country. Uh, We are also enlisting the aid of the University of California, uh, particularly the School of Architecture, to help design Morningstar. on it's amazing the diversity many of course are attracted to work in the garden as i said many are interested in constructing their own homes and many i think need to, do, to learn to do nothing that's something i'd like to learn how to do because it's possible to be enlightened in any kind of activity as a karma yogi lsd is no doubt something that has entered the world as a facet of the divine and it should be used to reveal the divine it's no accident that it entered the world at roughly the same time that nuclear fission did and there's no doubt that anyone who denies himself the opportunity of the consciousness expansion that is available perhaps it is pseudo perhaps it is some kind of chemical substitute but it is definitely a very accurate reproduction of the mystic transport that uh, St. Saint Teresa, St. Saint John of the Cross, everybody has written about. So I think if one denies themselves that particular adventure of consciousness in the 20th century, you're simply a fool.
0: <laughs> See, I have a slightly different clip that I play on the other side. I, that's why I'm saying. Like, so, I, I want to find the full version of this clip, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so that's 56 years ago now. I was born in 67, and I'll be 56 in uh, a few weeks actually what? I'll be 56 in a few weeks that's too soon Uh, 55 seems so much younger anyway Uh, yeah so if we get to the point that this big AI thing happens and everyone's like oh no we had no idea what are we going to do no we had an idea but uh, for some reason everyone was ignoring it I think I'm finally making some progress with Van Generator. It's a band I really want to like, and I've been trying on and off for a long time. It's considered one of the best prog rock bands of all time. So it has this very specific sound, this guy, P- Peter Hamill, singing. This is Pawn Heart from 1971 the album but now I'm listening to it and I'm actually liking it and I also was thinking about how um, the singing style reminds me of Fish from Marillion and he was in- influenced by uh, this band but if I can actually get into Van de Graaff Generator that would be amazing it's I could see if I was like you know 18 years old and I got my hands on this album, I would completely have embraced it. But obviously, this style is not for everyone. Anyway, you get the idea. But yeah, looking at uh, progarchives.com, the top rated progressive rock albums of all time. Right? So... The first few, uh, you have uh, Close to the Edge by Yes is number one. Selling England by The Pound by Genesis, number two. Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, number three. In the Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson is at number four. Number five, Thick as a Brick by Jethro Tull. Then we have Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Foxtrot by Genesis. Red by King Crimson. Animals by Pink Floyd. Fragile by Yes. So it's all the same bands, but now number 11 uh, God Bluff by Van der Graaff Generator, so 1975, and then Pawn Hearts number as, at number twelve, 1971. So really high up uh, in in this the the list of the greatest progressive rock albums of all time. So I'm making I'm making progress with Van der Graaff Generator. King Crimson, I think is is I'm still working on it. It's just tough, you know. King Crimson is tough to get into, <laughs> but I know. There's something there. I mean, I even had, uh, <coughs> um, you know, an issue with the Genesis. But finally, when I really started listening specifically to Selling England by the Pound from um, 73, <coughs> that I broke through with that and I totally loved it. And yes, also the band Yes, uh, I really do like Close to the Edge and a lot of their stuff, but I still have, I still have trouble with Yes. Uh, I, I listen to it. Of course, I love Pink Floyd, and Jethro Tull I really like as well. But yeah, the King Crimson, tough. And what's the next one? Camel. I have listened to quite a bit of Camel. I like Camel. And then that PFM, Premiata Forneria, Marconi, um, had trouble with that. But I do like Cam- And then, of course, Rush, Moving Pictures, one of my favorite albums of all time, is at number 18. Uh that's I like get for the top 20, all those bands. Oh, look, Frank Zappa, Hot Rats. Frank Zappa is another one I really want to get deeper into. It's kind of hard, though. And G- at number 25, Gentle Giant, In a Glass House. And, in fact, they just sent an email. What's going on here? Deliveries? Deliveries. Mail. What um, <laughs> the hell? It sounds like a lot of mail. Uh, yeah, they just released uh, new uh, T-shirts and stuff of In a Glass House. Which is an amazing album, but anyway, I'm going to continue listening here to Van de Graaff Generator with Peter Hamill, and uh, see if I can really get into it. I'm so happy. I'm really, I'm really loving it. Horn Hearts, which apparently was a spoonerism of horn parts, because there are a lot of horn parts, and one of the band members or someone associated with the band was a did spoonerisms, uh, you know, switch, switching the first letters of each word. So instead of Porn parts. It's porn hearts. Porn hearts. You know. All right, this has been a long time coming. Um, my grandmother, my mother's mother, Evelyn Sappenfield. She, uh, she, uh, she had a. uh, She used to take old uh, home movies, eight millimeter home movies. She was, she was a movie enthusiast. And um, I recall back in the later eighties. We found her movies and her projector when we were watching them. That's the last I saw of these movies. So, of course, uh, when I was searching through the house, that's the number one thing I want to find. I was not finding it. Finally, towards the end of the process, it deeply buried in the basement of behind all this other junk was this bag full of uh, all the old movies, 8 millimeter movies. I'm like, I finally found it. But I'm like, they're very well organized. And shortly thereafter, I found three VHS tapes that apparently my mother got these uh, transferred, but never shared it with any of us kids. I don't know when it happened. Uh, So we have Mother's Movies Number One, Family Really Young at one hundred and seven minutes, and then we have Number Mom's Movies Number Two, or Mother's Movies Number Two, uh, Williamsburg with Mom and Helen, DC. New York World's Fair, Bud's grad, Bob in Navy. Something weddings, Karen, Jan, Bud, fifties and sixties. Wow, I have not seen these yet. And then we have uh, number three, Mom's old movies, family, Dale and children, Frank, Frankie, Bob and CK, C and K. Anyway, I got this VHS out of the out of the attic, and I found my little. Um, Transfer device here, and uh, I, I uh, test, I, I, I got a test tape, an old uh, Howard Stern I taped off, off the air when he when he said that channel 9 show just to make sure everything was working. I didn't want to, these are very precious now. Of course, I do have the movies themselves, but this is an easy way of seeing them as opposed to getting all, the, all them transferred. So, let's see what we can get to see here. Uh, Please work, please work, please work. Oh, my God, yes. Okay. So I guess it's all going to be silent. Oh, that smell of the basement and stuff. Okay, let me rewind here. Start transferring this stuff. Obviously, it's not going to be any sound. She didn't have a sound camera. Oh, my God, this has been a long time coming, and I uh, hope this all works out. I haven't used this device in a while, but... It's a little, it's called Clear Click. It's a little device that can uh, transfer, especially when it comes to VHS. You don't have to hook it up to a computer. You can just record right onto a flash drive. Hopefully the one I have on there has enough storage space. We'll see. Um, And, uh, yeah, these movies that have not seen the light of day in many a decade. Rewinding. Yes, here we go. See, I gotta prop this up somehow. Yeah, that's good. Video transfer service. Look at this important message to follow to view this video cassette properly. You must adjust the tracking control on your VCR and Make the following <laughs> adjustment the hell on your TV. Color, contrast, brightness, and tint. <laughs> Thank you. All right, people must have complained about uh, tracking issues and stuff. But anyway, let's see what we're going to get here. Oh, wow. Two older women... Maybe great grandmothers of mine of some sort. I don't know. All right, this is uh, this is going, man. This has been my dream for such a long time to see these movies again. Because I know I'm in these movies at some point as a little kid, as a as a little toddler and stuff. It starts off in the fifties. This is amazing family history. Um, the only person I know left that my my mother's my, my mother's first cousins, uh, Jan and. Uh, Karen I think would possibly know who some of these they're probably in these videos. It's two people running around in a yard. This is like the 50s man. <laughs> this is wild. color it's color color film and I have I have her my I have the camera and the projector in my possession as well and now all this stuff anyway uh, wow this is pretty overwhelming. So I'll be transferring, and uh, yeah, wow. In fact, I I couldn't find the bag that had the stuff in it. I'm like, oh no, I lost it again. But it was uh, in a closet upstairs. So, oh look, there is tracking on here. Tracking is the one thing we don't have to really worry about anymore. Is all this tracking—that's the thing that makes this like makes the image on the screen kind of cycle through, like scroll vertically or up up or down. You know, tracking. Yeah. There's a lot of the annoyances of analog that we don't have to deal with anymore. Though there's great joys of analog when it was the only game in town. Wow. This may be their house in uh, Edison. Edison, New Jersey, I think. I know she lived in Edison. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> so that one's 107 minutes. So the other one's, say... Number three is 121 minutes, and number two is 120. So this, these are like two hours each. Wow, there's like six, five to six hours of, uh, of stuff here. Old home movies. All right. Well, this is obviously going to be a process, but I'm so happy I got it started. Anyway, in other news, Video Game Connections is going to be uh, opening grand opening uh coming up on saturday september 30th a little over a week from now at 11 a.m down there in howell new jersey i gotta be there i really do i have to be there for the grand opening i think uh they uh that store was such a big part of my life as i've described so many other on so many other recordings it was a store that i discovered mid 90s and i wound up working there probably earlier 90s and then uh it shut down around 2002, I think. And now Mike, who ran the store, is going to bring it back. And it's actually in the same shopping complex, the same structure that used to be uh, one of those uh, weekend uh, flea markets. And uh, he he had a table there. That's where I first met him many, many years ago. And then he had a store in that same shopping center. So he's opening up again in the uh, the same place. It's, it's wild. It's like... Uh, History is happening all over again. Oh, look! There's my mother. My mother, very young. I think this is the one where she, she's singing a song like uh, I Enjoy Being a Girl. And I remember when we watched it with her, she was very embarrassed by it. But there's my mother as a teenager. Wow. Oh, my God. This stuff is very, very, uh, very mind-blowing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Six hours of this stuff. Wow. And the World's Fair, 1964 and 1965 New York World's Fair. Yeah. It's happening. Yes, it is happening. Yes. Indeed. Oh, what do we have here? A bunch of kids. That must be like Karen and Jan and stuff. Those little kids, little five-year-olds. Uh, in order to celebrate uh, the 3,000th episode here, I think we're going to have some whiskey. Laphroaig. I got the Laphroaig Select. I guess I kind of randomly got it at the store. Of course, Laphroaig is one of my favorite Scotch scotches. And, you know, I, I recently have been on a big mescal kick, but I had a few single malts on the trip, and I just uh, figured I, it's time to go back to some single malts. Um, so Laphroaig Select, it does kind of... Uh, I like it. It's 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 very different, but it's like uh they're calling it a gentler Lefroig, which I don't need. I need the harshest Lefroig possible, but it also was among the cheaper bottles cuz you can go up from 50 to 80 to 120 to 250 to 3 whatever. I mean, I mean like just on the shelf, these the, there's so many different Lafleurigs. Um let's see. They're saying uh It's Lafroig Select is a maddening combination of whiskey. The core scotch is regular Lafroig aged in previously used American bourbon barrels. That's been finished for six months in brand new American oak barrels. The distillery then blended this whiskey with other other whiskies to create six different malts. The Lafroig fan club, friends of Lafroig, selected the winning blend from the six to create the select. Hmm. So yeah, they're saying this is gentler. But being that I, I just got it the other day and I'm almost done with it, I've really been enjoying it. <coughs> Listen, it's not cheap. Can I afford it? I don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can afford Lafroig, but we. But I can't afford not to have a toast to the 3,000th episode. I need some water though to start with. I'm just a little thirsty. Excuse me while I drink some water. Alright, let's get some Lefroig and we'll have a toast. Oh, here's a fancy little glass we can use. A toast! To uh, 3,000 episodes. I need more Lafroig. That's what I asked for for my birthday. Lafroyd! Only Lafroig. Every kind of Lafroyd possible. Yeah, it, it, you know, Laphroaig, <coughs> like kind of like Lagavulin, has <laughs> <It's> like <coughs> it tastes like a kind of like medicine, rubbing alcohol, industrial cleansers, all that kind of fun stuff. It's from the Isla region, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Scotland. It's very sunny out here. Ah, yes, Frank Nora three thousand. Thank you. Some of you have listened to all three thousand episodes. Thank you. Still going. I'm swishing the glass around. It's kind of beautiful, beautiful golden liquid. Mm. It's quite good. It's almost, it's almost like drinking candy, but not any kind of candy, bizarre candy, but it's very, very addictive flavor. Hmm. Yeah, there's something to it. I, it it's it's a, a bit different than a regular Lefroig, but... I like it. There's something to it. <coughs> but yeah, 3,000 episodes. It's a lot. But I have been doing it for over 20 years now, so... But actually, you know, it's kind of 24 years because of the... Uh, the 1999 factor. <coughs> that date's coming up. November 19th a 2023 will be uh, 24 years after November 19th, 1999, when I launched BluffCosm.com, which uh, a few months later became a radio project. It originally was some sort of virtual reality project. And then the Overnightscape, this show, began on BluffCosm, and then it just sort of Bluff Cosm was phased out. So the 24th anniversary <coughs> of this project is uh, a big, big thing coming up just uh, yeah, in a few months. Not even a few months. What day is it today? Less than two months, actually. It's, it's September 21st. So, yeah, less than two months to that 24-year mark. So <coughs> I was kind of hoping to have the next edition of the book out uh, around that time. And I did make a lot of progress on the book over the weekend. So maybe if I keep pushing, I can get it ready. What I want to do is um, instead of including all of the show art in the main book, I want to just do like uh, on every single page like four show arts on the bottom of each page and then sort of select from the shows on the page. (laughs) You know what I mean? But then the full show art will be in the PDF version. Listen, don't worry about it. You'll see it when, it, when, it, when it's ready. It, it'll be good. I'm telling you, it'll be good. Anyways, uh, with that, I'd like to say thank you so much uh, for patching into this episode of The Overnight Scape. I'm your host, Frank Ebert-Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey, September 2023. 20, and uh, before a the big AI, as far as we know. Uh, anyway, yeah, check it out. This is uh, Radio broadcasting from inside a book how does how is such a thing possible listen no one else is doing it i figured we should do it broadcast from inside a book yeah just go to onsug.com o-n-s-u-g.com that stands for overnight scape underground go to onsug.com for all the latest shows all the different hosts and all the different shows you can participate in a show called overnight Escape central and as i mentioned last time please do if you've been on the fence uh I know PQ recently had the topic on the show is the central outmoded because there hasn't been a lot of uh, participation as, as there was in the past so we'd love to see uh, some some of the old uh, contributors and some new contributors come on and uh, continue the X factor is this uh, this week's topic if you have a com- uh, if you have a g- commentary on that please check it out check out the latest episode for all the instructions you need for your voice to be heard on overnight Scape central, and therefore in in this archive, we're very focused on uh, preserving our archive into the far future. We have a very unique style. We're a non commercial project, and we're a very unique project, as you probably can tell. This may be your first episode, or maybe you've heard all three thousand and counting. Will we get to four thousand? I think so. Was that another another ten years? Yeah, come on, I can do another ten years. Was that the year twenty thirty? Twenty thirty three ish. Oh come on, that'll be the that'll be a snap. Can I can I, can I keep going for another ten? Years? Just ten years. How old do I be in ten years? Well, I'll be sixty five. Wait a minute, that's what? You're saying in ten years I'll be sixty almost sixty six. Wow. Well, listen, it happens. In order to have experienced the seventies, eighties, and nineties, which I would not want to give up. That experience of living in those, and I even lived in the 60s for a few years, but I was a little toddler, little baby. <coughs> in order to have experienced those wonderful decades in the 20th century, you've got to be a bit older now, in the 2020s and 2030s. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable, okay? It's just the way it works. Time marches on, okay? What do you want? Please. Anyway. You got the idea. This is the mother load you have stumbled upon on SUG Radio. And uh, now that you know about it, we're, we're always here for you. Now on, on into the future. Even you could, like, die and reincarnate, and then somehow you'll find it again and keep listening. You know, that's what I'm saying. This could be a multi-generational, multi-reincarnation uh, kind of experience. Listen. Continue listening in your le- next life. I don't know if we can really provide that service. I think. <laughs> well, your higher self, like, like when, when you die and then you're, you're in that higher state, you can be like, note to self, make sure that there's a sequence of events that reintroduces me to on radio in my next life. You see what I'm saying? I know people may have other concerns, but on-sug radio is a pretty big concern too. Come on. Do it. Keep listening. In multiple lifetimes, dozens of years, vast swaths of history. <laughs> yes. another thing you should do is uh, sit, sit tight sit back like the guy in the, the cassette tape commercial let the sound wash over you sit in a comfy chair grab your favorite drink like oh I didn't finish drinking this a toast, finishing the toast yum yum mmm mm-hmm. la froigue and now get ready You are now prepared. You're ready to receive the audio amazement that is The Other Side.
1: Cause you turned out When you thought you turned out tonight,
3: to you, the great silent majority of my fellow Americans, I ask for your support. I pledged in my campaign for the presidency to end the war in a way that we could win the peace. I have initiated a plan of action which will enable me to keep that pledge. The more support I can have from the American people, the sooner that pledge can be redeemed. For the more divided we are at home, the less likely the enemy is to negotiate at Paris. Let us be united for peace. Let us also be united against defeat. Because let us understand, North Vietnam cannot defeat or humiliate the United States. Only Americans can do that.
4: 900 years after the great nuke and the roles of women have changed dramatically much to the displeasure of men and mutants for it's a new kind of war being fought with a certain kick to it america 3000 meet corvus he's a scholar horse he's a spy hmm. He's a man who falls back into the 20th century and lands the most important job in America. Mr. President. The President. The President! Me for President. Meet Vena, the virginal queen of the Thunder Warriors. Yeah! It is up to Corvus and Vena to bring a little civilization back into the world. Because men and women haven't gotten along in a long, long time.
3: What's it, man?
4: Theo. I'm a man. Corvus and Vena. Oh, my. Two lovebirds out to prove that love is the only thing worth nuking for. America 3000, an outrageous post-nuke adventure.
5: Welcome to the future. In this year's wildest, super fun show for adults, Cinderella 2000. It's tomorrow's sexiest comedy today.
1: We're welcome to the future. In the hopes that it suit you. Yeah, welcome to the great society. Indiscriminate, screwing, sex, must be outlawed
5: completely. Do you understand what I mean? Cut out the goddamn screwing, I mean it! For Christ's sake, lady, spread your legs.
1: You really mean that?
5: You have to get your hand out, it's
1: illegal. Illegal, illegal, everything that feels good is illegal.
3: Someday things will be different here. We'll have free and open love. the hornets will be a thing of the past.
5: Cinderella 2000 is something new and different. You have not and will not see any other movie like Cinderella 2000. Before I'm through, there will be
6: love throughout the constellation.
1: And we are doing without. Yes, we are doing without. And it's a frustrating route without any doubt. We're desperate because we're doing
5: well, here on planet Earth, among the flowers and the trees, be it rabbit, hen or flea, we
1: all need love. We all need love. Yes, we need to be long. From you and me to King Kong. We all need love. Could a fairy be wrong? We all need love.
5: Cinderella 2000 is a story of a girl of the future who falls in love with a legend and makes love the national pastime.
0: I'm someone who's going to show you the meaning of real love.
5: Cinderella 2000 stars Hollywood's newest discovery, Katherine Earhart, the girl next door of your futuristic dreams. Forget all your cares and go to see the funniest, sexiest film of the future today, Cinderella 2000, in color for adults only from Independent International.
6: We are at the Royal Mall. Oh. You know, I mean, you know, first you say she's going to be at a swamp. Downward, how, how, this mall is enormous. How, how are we ever going to find her at this mall? Don't worry, we will find her. She uh, will know it by it's my voice, Gina. Oh. Okay. Hey. You know, I don't understand. Why do we have to meet her at, at, at a mall? This is crazy. This mall is enormous. You don't understand the meaning of a mall. And I don't know what to do and explain it to you. I've been trying to explain it to you for over and over again. And you don't understand that. I I know what to do. I really don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end right now. Look, all I'm saying is, if you had said a mall in the first place, it would have been fine. I love malls. They're fantastic. They're awesome. There's nothing bad about them. Leave me alone. Malls are wonderful. They're the best place in the world. Everyone should go to a mall. Oh, look. Innovation luggage. I bet you some good carry-on there for you. Yeah, great, great. What's this place now? Uh, the glowing candle. Great. Yes, I would say it's very illuminating. Uh, you know, you know, Bublin, We've been walking around this mall for like over an hour. There's no sign of this JoCasta. All right, all right, fine. I understand your pressure. Let's go get something to eat. Get something to right, eat. That, that's that's a good idea. That's yeah, a good yeah, idea. Yeah. 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 Well, and we got a, my favorite, uh, food, which is sushi and, uh, french fries. Ooh, what a combination. I love eating french fries with chopsticks, all right? <laughs> You're silly. Yeah. You're silly. So where is this Chocasta anyway? I think she's been coming around to Blimpy. Hey, my french fries are superior to yours. So. Oh, they sure are. I don't know, Bublen. I mean, you know, that was a pretty good meal. But, you know, where, where is this Jocasta? There's no way we're going to find it. We may as well just leave. No, 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 we're not going to leave. You know what? I just remembered, Jocasta, she loves rivers. Rivers? Yes. What do you, what do you mean, rivers? Like 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 the water conduit kind no, of no, thing? No, 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 no. Maybe we can go to a place like Riviera or, maybe Riviera. The, or since, since, the nature, since it's the nature, we go to the nature company or something like that. Maybe she be in one of those places. Are you, what, 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 do you, what do you think? She, she, she came to the mall to meet us. Now she's seeking out her favorite things, rivers? Yes, so I'm thinking that maybe that's one of the, the stores she could be related to, uh, going to one of those stores, you know, something to do with you the know, nature. You know, I'm trying to regret this, but all right, we'll go to these stores. Yeah, give it a try. We'll try, we'll try maybe the, the, the Riviera. The malls are the economic universe of the universe. We shall find the Riviera. I tell you, there's something around here. The malls are the one that keep the society going. Mm-hmm. Yes. Without the malls, the world will come to an end. You understand? Yes. We will find the Riviera. <gasps> Where is it? choice choices? understand. Where is the Riviera?
0: I don't even think there is a store called Riviera.
6: Wait, okay. I see a train store. Let's go in there. Bonsai designs. Bonsai. Bonsai. Mm. Restoration hardware. We just saw this store. What's going on? I want to see Riviera. What's that up there? That's Newman Marcus. What the hell is that? It's I've a. never heard It's, of a, it's a store for pompous. It's a pompous store. Yes. Only oh, the rich and the elite killed are you going to <laughs> immediate Marcus. <laughs> I'm gonna open Bombay. Oh, I see another store. Bailey Banks and Beetle. Makes you want to wiggle my wiggle. Yes, I see Eddie Bauer. Eddie Bauer, the pompous store. Yes. Only oh, the rich and the elite the light goes over Marcus. Yes, they are very fancy. Yes, you they very it but, has to have like a and all these and plastic exu- things on it. <laughs> but excuse me, but don't forget, the mall is the economic future. I want to find Riviera. Damn, a shoeless untied. Where is she?
1: Look, Jocasta, she's over there. No, let's go. Let's go. go. Catch up with her. Uh, is that her?
6: No, it's not. Oh, damn. Uh, You never know what to expect in a mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check it out. Mm -hmm. We'll see Jacasta. Either today, tomorrow, next week. Two months from now. But whatever it is, it'll be worth it. I promise you. Malls are great. They're so great. Nothing in the world like a mall. If you don't like a mall, then you've got a problem. are as old as humanity and represent humanity's basic need for warmth and comfort.
1: contradiction that I am
7: Nine Pebble Detector on The Nine Pebble Detector's team is on the move, in winter Cindy's Balinese hovercraft, with Magic Smup driving. No one knows the true origin of Magic Smup. Some say he was a garden gnome stolen by college students, and was brought to life in the dorm by watching the first episode of the Larry Sanders show, on Betamax, where Larry does a live commercial for the garden weasel. Lazy Day and Odd sun. Nine Little Pebbles, remote in a vast, deserted parking lot, huddle together, speaking in relaxed whispers, having a little meeting. The call has gone out to many super teams, must find the parking lot and separate the nine pebbles, moving them as far apart as possible, before it rains. Wet pebbles have a mind to deal in mischief on a cosmic scale. Doctor almost relaxes in the hovercraft break room, enjoying a cache of precious spoils from a recent time travel mission, smoking moonlight tobacco politics cigarettes, drinking fruitopia the grape beyond from his beloved Mannheim steamroller cinnamon hot chocolate mug, and playing flea-devil solitaire he'd been a foot messenger in NYC delivering a package to a superhero team headquarters when he got caught in the middle of a super fight his messenger bag got blown away by a wind and weather style hero blow how and he ran to catch it finding he was running at hyperspeed looking over he saw a fast-running hero Quicklety, next to him he realized he could copy the powers of heroes when he was near them almost matching them afterwards he kept a small fraction of the copied powers even after he left their vicinity. But his power mimicking came at a cost, his clothes were colored four different colors. Imagine an X and Y axis converging at his navel. The upper left clothes were orange, the upper right cyan, the lower left green, and the lower right purple. The Laser B is Winter Cindy's robot assistant. He is loosely based on the Charles Nelson Reilly Big Banana Pen TV commercials where he wore a banana suit. The robot's design has stripes so he looks more like a bee he is hyper and silly like Charles and is in love with winter Cindy and never stops believing she could love him back this story was written by Frank Edward Nora on March 3, 2020 it all came together in his mind during his morning shower then the dreaded hoops fender Zako, the green owl magician hand puppet with a copper top hat bursts through the hovercrafts window and with quicklety speed draws the three billy goats gruff on everyone's chin with his L Marco With insane laughter worthy of the sidecar he grabs Doc's mug, spilling the sweet grape elixir all over the multicolor garbed hero, and jumps back out the window. Insurance the devil girl, with a black and red outfit, whirls around with her pitchfork and shoots a blast of barbed wire super smoke after the puppet, to no avail. She had once been a god's intelligent sword, eventually granted personhood by that same god. Many adventures later as a male superhero with teleportation powers, an interdimensional accident reverted insurance to sword form. A devil girl named Lemon was able to use infernal sorcery to restore insurance to human form, but as a sexy devil girl like Lemon, Winter Cindy, who had been napping, is jolted awake as magic Smup spins out while turning the hovercraft around to try and catch the mug-stealing puppet. Luckily, Hoops can't resist getting a pretzel at the pretzel hut, as the hovercraft bears down on him. He darts away at the last second, before paying, as the hovercraft crashes into the pretzel hut. The team jumps out the hovercraft door and pursues the green puppet on foot. Doc wonders aloud whether they should just let the puppet go and continue on the pebble mission. But the chase is afoot. The team bounds through the streets of the city, and spots Hoops entering a bowling alley, pausing a moment to finish his pretzel. Inside the alley, with the sound of pins crashing, and the smell of beer and junk food, the fiendish owl is nowhere to be seen. Until, what? Hoops is atop a ten pin, a bowling ball headed his way. A sure strike. With a nod to the team, he jumps down, picks up the pin and puts the mug in its place. In the nick of time, he escapes behind the pins, as the ball comes crashing down and smashes to bits Doc's beloved Mannheim steamroller cinnamon hot chocolate mug. The clouds come, thunder the darkening sky, air electric with its initial drops, and then the deluge, collapsing into the pavement, and the nine little pebbles, have a little drink.
6: What the heck is that? <laughs> what is that? Oh my God! What's what, like... what
0: does it look like? So let's talk a little bit. What is what is Bluff Cosm? Do you have any idea? Bluff Tunes, with these. It's what's... a gemantive view of the world. Yes. Yeah, so what this is is a. Uh, it's kind of like an internet radio station. Yeah. The Bluff Tunes are weird little. Uh, weird little um, audio pieces. All sorts of things. Some of them are just weird recordings from. Who knows where? Some of them are little little uh, programs. Yes. Kind of like like radio back in the uh, in the old days. They used to have all these different shows, except in a much more demented, sick fashion.
6: Very.
0: Yes. Sick. Very and, sick. Indeed. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some stats from the last uh, Blufftoon time, oh, So yes.
6: Meet the parents. <laughs> yes. <Ha-ha>. yes. <laughs> what the heck is Kiss of the Dragon about? The, oh, the a con- dragon cool. that goes around kissing people. <laughs> And They have to kill him. <laughs> and they here, pop the magic dragon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how about Jurassic Park 3? Yeah. Now. Yeah, you have a, he has I a ha- joke. I have a All joke right, let's for you. To the joke. Here we go. There's these two guys, right? One guy is a pirate.
1: Yeah.
6: And the pirate has one hand missing,
1: Yeah.
6: one leg missing,
1: mm-hmm.
6: and one eye missing. Okay. So the guy goes up to him and he says, how do you lose your, your hand? And he replies, well, mighty, it happened like this. Me and me mates were out on the deck and a big wave came gushing overboard and pushed us into the bloody ocean. And a shark beat at me bloody hand. Ooh, gruesome. This is this, is, well, does well, this have ha- anything well, <laughs> to do with the kissing dragon? Or? No, no. Okay, okay. Well, how do you lose your leg? Well, Mighty, it happened like this. Me and me mate were out on the deck making it nice and spick and span. Yep. Meanwhile a big wave came overboard and pushed us into the ocean and the shock beat at me bloody leg. <coughs> Ooh. Well how'd you lose your eye? Well, mighty, after a long day of cleaning, clean the deck making spick and span, me and the crew were tired. So we want to take a little rest in the sun. So while that was going on, a pigeon flew overhead and crapped on my eye. Really? I don't understand. How how can that possibly take out your eye? The the only thing it did was crap on your eye. Well, mighty, it was the first day with me new hook. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a visual. (laughs) He took his hand.
0: And put it to his eye. Yes. And that's the visual element.
6: Go for it, dude! You'll have to hear it sometime, both of you. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing it. Aren't you looking forward to hearing it there, John? Aren't your ears just ringing with anticipation to hear it?
1: I can't
0: wait. All right. So now uh, we're going to be moving on to some... um, Let's see what we're going to be moving on to. Rock
1: and roll! Okay.
6: How about the nutty buddy? I queen. (laughs) <laughs> we
0: went to the ice cream truck.
6: I you Yeah. Uh-huh. I got a foot pop. <laughs> I like dogs. What was that again? Loopy loop. <laughs> All right. And we're sitting here in Martinsville, New Jersey, playing lots of great bluff tunes for you. Exciting, Martinsville, New Jersey. Yeah. With sprinklers and air conditioning and laundry and iron machines. Everything's going on at once.
0: Yep, exactly. This is the... <laughs> Sounds
6: like um, Jerry Jerry Lewis. Yeah, Jerry Lewis. Look at Jerry Lewis impersonation. Hardly working. Remember that movie, Hardly Working? No. That was Jerry Lewis. That was Jerry Lewis. Great. Sounds (laughs) bizarre. (laughs) Say that again. See, I get all natural stuff. You get junk. Uh, dog calling Dr. Puss <laughs> calling Dr. Puss You want it with the kitty <laughs> Dr. Puss <laughs> What the heck is going on here The AC is off yay <laughs> Oh yeah you were saying earlier that you were on the computer Yeah and that you saw this house on the computer if you don't stop putting things on my thing I'm gonna get mad at you Jesus Frank what would you like John go for it dude yeah hey Frank I'm just realizing something yes (laughs) now let me ask you you guys a question out there in internet world or radio world wherever you're hearing this from who do you know would actually give you a call on an anniversary on a day that something really bad happened to you (laughs) Frank Edward Nora Lord of Oblivion Lord of Oblivion <laughs> How twisted is that? That's pretty sick He crashed because he was going too fast in <laughs> snow He's <laughs> like this girl was running across the road like a, <laughs> like a maniac <laughs> Did you ever notice that whenever you go to any friendlies, Friendly's service is so slow Either when no one's there when it's even when it's empty it takes forever to get you food Absolutely Why is that? And, and, Hey, what do you want? <laughs> Sorry. Was it bad? Throw it on Must miss. <laughs> <laughs> Tastes almost over, you bonehead. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's where <laughs> I finished it 15? Okay. What you going? to Okay. Oh, I going now. Alright, hold That's on, Wait, hold in on, garbage. Wait, wait. hold on a second, hold on. What's
0: the problem? Yeah. Yeah. Oh
6: it's, on yeah. <clears throat> yeah. oh,
0: it's not on a road, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not a road, yeah. We're near a train station? No, by the bus. Okay. So Pete, what do you think of,
6: like, taking a vacation from reality? I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. Where would you want to go, man? <laughs> Keep... Oh. Excuse me while I get out of the jeep. Huh. <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> thank you. Great, thank you. Have a really good night. Thank you, thank you. Oh dear. <laughs> 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 yeah, <really.
1: laughs> is <laughs> I you. know.
2: Okay. make sure it doesn't.
6: Yeah, all up, all over. I got it. <laughs> oh, my legs! <laughs> Why are those cars wrapped in plastic? Kicker! Ah! Do it yourself. Enjoy. Stupid. I have now the ninja. Hey, you want to go ride in a horse seat? Uh, uh. Open the door. Open the door. Open the door. Whoa, Nelly's with the door to test no hinges. uh, uh. <laughs> Wait a minute. He's stupid. I'm trying to do
0: some paperwork
6: here. Sorry, Frank, for hitting you, but you really annoyed me. You didn't have the record button on, and we missed many good segments because of your stupidity. Everyone say, price a big (laughs) stoop. Stoop. Kick a lick.
0: So anyway, if you're just tuning in, this is a program in which we play tons of cool audio pieces, different funny things, uh, various um, recordings from the past, little kids' recordings, and lots of different things. You know, crackle crackle wrote. You've just heard... Montana nineteen eighty part two here on Blufftoon Time and it took place in Montana in nineteen eighty. Me and my brother and sister are out in Montana with my cousin Katie saying silly funny things. Now this is the real end of the show, Blufftoon yes. Time number two. Yeah. This side of the tape is winding down as you can see. You see it winding yes, down? Yes it is winding All right. down. So my final word is Listen to BluffCosm all the time. You'll hear all sorts
6: of great stuff. And it's just going to keep getting better and better. And what are are your feeling on that? I say, tell all your friends about BluffCosm.com. Tell your friends at work. Tell your friends at school. Tell your friends everyone. Say, listen to BluffCosm.com. It's so cool. Once you listen to it, you never want to stop listening to it. Thank you very much. You're wondering what kind of goofy thing will be next? What kind of goofy thing will they do next? Wait and pay attention because the only way you're going to find out if you keep on listening. Listen constantly. Listen at dinner. Listen at work. Listen while you're going to the bathroom. Listen while you go taking a shower. Listen all the time. Never turn it off.